The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And if I can encourage you this morning, maybe hear these words with your eyes closed and imagine what it is you're seeing here as Jesus describes to the disciples what the end of the temple age looks like. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down nor enter his house or take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if that's possible, the elect. But be on your guard. I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then... They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Friends, this is God's word. Father, please give me words to speak your word. That your name may be lifted up as glorified and honored above every name. And that we would have hope encourage for whatever comes our way. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1956, speaking to a crowd of smitten and almost unruly teenage fans in Shreveport, Louisiana, a man named Horace Logan coined a phrase that would take root in our culture for decades. A popular musical heartthrob named Elvis Presley had just finished his portion of the concert at the Louisiana State Fair. And fans were rushing out of the Coliseum to get another glimpse of that pop icon. And Horace used the PA system to calm the crowd down, saying this, Elvis has left the building. Elvis has left the building. Today's passage in Mark was originally written for persecuted Jewish Christians who were living in Rome under the fearful control of a violent leader called Nero, who was making it his his mission to see that followers of Jesus didn't get out of hand. He was crucifying thousands at a stretch. It was a fearful and even deadly place to live. And if this portion of chapter 13 in Mark were to be given a title, one fitting would be this. Friends, Jesus Christ has left the building. What building? 
are we speaking of? The temple. Just prior to this passage, as we talked about last week, one of Jesus' disciples is commenting how amazing this temple building was. It was enormous in size, beyond description and beauty. And Jesus says to the disciple, you see this building? It will not be here soon. It will be thrown down where you won't even know it was here in the first place. And sitting outside the city limits on the Mount of Olives, Jesus' inner circle of disciples are anxious to know by when you, Jesus, when you say soon, can you tell us when it's all going to happen? When you say thrown down, can you, can you give us some clues as to what that's coming like so we can be ready? Because a temple building was really a source of great comfort for the followers of God. It was the holy meeting place between God and his people. It was a place of prayer and sacrifice. So for Jesus to say, that's going to go away, that fosters some anxiety in them. But the temple had become corrupt within. Religious leaders had made it a place of profit and status, where Jesus calls it a den of thieves, as the poor were being robbed of their livelihood in order to pay a temple tax, as non-Jews were kept at a distance, unable to approach the God of mercy and forgiveness, stay out. But the temple was also a source of this national pride and confusion as it was being rebuilt by Herod the Great, and it was making Jerusalem great again under Roman rule. And those under that rule wanted their power and their temple back. So revolution was in the air. Cult leaders were forming resistance armies against Rome to hang on to the Jewish national identity. It's hard for us in comfortable Midwest America to relate, but we've got to try. I want to ask you a question. When you think of the church, what do people typically think of when I say the word church? What do you think of? Probably a building. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the people? We can see it. Like a place. Like the Jewish Christians of the day saw the temple. It's a place of prayer. It's a place to remember sacrifice. But how has it become corrupted into a place of profit and status? Tell you what, friends, the church is a moneymaker. Christian music, Christian media, Christian publishing is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Did you know that? Multi-billion dollars are being made. The church also provides a status to hang on to in keeping America Christian. It's a place for our political platforms to Did you know that white conservative evangelicals are a target demographic, they're a target demographic, excuse me, for political campaigns. They're going to shape which way our country goes. So some of the same tactics that were used back then are used gathering armies of like-minded people on social media to storm capital buildings because we're losing our ground. We're losing our national identity as a Christian nation. But today's passage is urging us to remember Jesus has left the building. The temple fell. The place of prayer and sacrifice, according to Jesus, is no longer a place. It's a person. 
It's a people. It's a body. And Jesus' mission was not to build a kingdom in this world, but to build a kingdom far better than this world. And if Jesus has left the building, so too must we. His mission becomes our mission. His end becomes our end. To be all about a person, not a place, not a building, not even a country. How might we understand Jesus' mission for the church according to this difficult passage? And how are we to join him in that mission? Well, three things I want to highlight today. This mission for the church is three things. Number one, it's urgently transportable. Number two, it's painfully possible. And number three, it's a mission that is universally unstoppable. First, the church's mission is urgently transportable. You see this in verses 14 to 17. It begins with, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then those in Judea run. If we remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and not to us. This confusing term can make more sense, the abomination of desolation. It has to do with the temple building. The first reference to abomination of desolation comes from the book of Daniel, the prophet in the Old Testament. And it's referring to a powerful leader who will come against God's people. Hear this from Daniel. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. This prophecy was actually first fulfilled 200 years before Jesus came. When a Greek king, Antiochus IV, set up shop in the temple in Jerusalem, claiming to be God, demanding to be worshipped. And he offered on the altar the worst offensive abomination sacrifice to a Jew. He slaughtered an unclean pig. So when Mark says, let the reader understand, he's saying to them, it's going to look like that. Do you remember that? To remind his disciples, this is going to be someone who is going to be anti-Jesus. Someone's going to be standing in the place of God. There are many interpretations as to what the abomination of desolation means. A lot of my reading this week was, but most commentators agree, and I believe this is referring to a Roman military that's surrounding the city of Jerusalem and surrounding the temple. Actually, Luke's gospel says this, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that the desolation has come near. And that happened in 67 A.D., What are people to do when they see that happen? Fight for Jerusalem? Hold their ground? Take on the bully? What does Jesus say to do? No. Run. Run with urgency. No time to grab your coat. No time to grab your things. Just get out of Jerusalem. What's going on here? Are Jesus' followers to be passive weaklings? Why aren't they standing up for what's right? Why aren't they taking back Jerusalem? Why aren't they forming a political uprising? Because Jesus doesn't take back 
places. Jesus takes back people. He preserves people, not places. And his urgent call to scatter is a comment about this new church that he's forming. It's not a fixed place anymore. It's a missional people now. Going outside of Jerusalem, as Jesus declares in the book of Acts in chapter 1, you're going to be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is spreading out the body of Christ with his arms and his legs wrapping around the entire earth. We may have blocked it from our memory, but do you remember the beginning months of COVID? Do you remember being able to track the spread of COVID from one central location to the rest of the world? Jesus' message of the cross, this place of sacrifice, the place he was about to go to when he said these words, was going out from Jerusalem to serve as a way in which sin and death could be dealt with once and for all where scared and scattered people would be leaving their homes and their hometowns with the good news of a crucified Christ come back to life. He's not asking them to be passive. He's asking them to go out and die with him. One writer says, the church is not a sign, or excuse me, the cross is not a sign of the church's quiet, suffering submission to the powers that be. But rather... The cross is the church's revolutionary participation in the victory of Christ over these powers. The cross is not a symbol for general human suffering and oppression. Rather, the cross is a sign of what happens when one takes God's account of reality more seriously than Rome. The cross stands as God's and our eternal no to the powers of death, as well as God's eternal yes to humanity. God's remarkable determination not to leave us to our own devices. That's what the cross is about. And that's what we are on mission to do. Urgently, portably, to take the cross on mission. Friends, we've got to flee the temptation to stay and fight for yourself and fight for your stuff. Urgently going into all the world, leaving behind the things that have lulled you to sleep, your possessions, your protections, your privileges, and fearfully and urgently taking his cross on mission outward. What does that look like us for, to, look like for us today? Friends, it's not about living in doomsday bunkers, watching the clock until Jesus comes again. It means saying to the Leatherberry family, a family we love and have been grateful to have part of our church community. Take up your cross. Lindsay, you're going west with the cross. Ben, you're going west with the cross. Plant churches. More churches. Sending more missionaries into places like Togo, Africa. Take the cross on mission south. It means putting our devices And it's images of everything anti-Christ down and going out as a church, faithfully present in our community with this death-conquering cross and the resurrection of Jesus, even if it costs us our life or our reputation or our livelihood. Put your phone down. Start to look around. People are dying for a cure. Like Sean said, they're looking for a truth. This mission that we're on is urgently portable and far more portable than your phones. Take it out to the world. The church's mission is not only urgently portable, 
It's painfully possible. You see this in verses 18 to 23. Jesus is so painfully honest with the disciples. He is just days away from being betrayed, rejected, tortured, executed. He knows it will not be even close to easy for him. And so then he gulps as he describes the difficulty level of this mission for his people. What he's going through, they're going to go through. He says, woe to moms. As people are fleeing the city, as it's mass chaos. Because guess what? Moms are going to have a really hard time keeping up as everyone is bolting out of the city. He says, pray that it won't be winter. Because when winter comes at that, in that place, the water levels are really high and you can't get out. He says, this is going to be really hard. There's going to be so much pain and suffering like the labor pains we talked about last week. And there's a historical account of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple between 67 and 70 AD. They were truly the worst days ever. Roman armies, what they did was they surrounded Jerusalem so that no one could get out and no one gets in. What happens when you surround a community that can't get out, get out and no one can get in? What happens after time? Starvation. There's accounts of people actually consuming their own babies to stay alive. There's accounts of fighting to the death over crumbs of food. There's accounts of piles of Jewish bodies being stacked around the temple altar. It will be like nothing ever seen in all of creation and nothing ever seen again. So painful. But no, Jesus says, know this. This mission is possible. Look at verse 20. If the Lord did not shorten the days, no one could be saved. But for the sake of the chosen, the elect, he chose to shorten the days. Jesus wants his followers to know that there will be questions you're all going to be asking about God and his goodness when things look so bad. And one author writes, the shortening of the days is a point at which what little optimism there is in this passage breaks through. However terrible the times, we must not imagine they represent divine neglect. We never know the whole story. God is still at work, even though it looks horrible. And the command to pray in verse 18 reminds us, we can still play an active role in bringing relief in the midst of human suffering. We still pray even though they're suffering. But as we're on mission, church, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies of those who promise relief in the here and now. There are going to be false Christs rising up promising temporary pain relief. And they're going to have magical signs and magical wonders. Protection and help for these unbearable times. That's what they're going to promise. Don't buy their door-to-door -door salvation. Their snake oil, Jesus says. Even then, as verse 22 says, you're going to be tempted to be misled. But verse 22 promises us of God's sovereign hand. He says, it is not even possible to mislead the chosen. You are chosen and you will never be unchosen. 
Don't believe desperate times call for any other desperate measure than the cure of the cross. Prepare for pain. But remember, it's temporary. Fix your eyes on the cross and know that that cross didn't last forever. It was not eternal. It was six hours. Six long, excruciating, awful hours. But six hours. Like a little kid scared of getting a shot or going to the dentist. What do we say to the kids getting a shot, James? It's only going to be a little bit. It'll be over in just a moment. I was watching a show recently. And it was a traveling nurse who was called to a farm to try to work on an infectious wound of a child back in the early 1900s. And the child was resistant to any treatment. It was so painful for the nurse to even move the bandage, that the nurse said something to the little girl. She said, you need a reward to look at. You need something that will remind you this will be over soon. And so she went out to the barn and she wrangled a little lamb from the barn and put it in front of the girl, right in front of her face to pet and look at. And as she removed the bandages from her leg and attended to the painful wound, the girl kept her eyes fixed on the tenderness of the lamb in front of her. I'm holding on to you. And that's for us too in painful times. I'm holding on to you, Jesus, as you hold on to me. Oh, that hurts. This really hurts, but this is not going to last forever. Friends, we have not experienced what the readers of Mark experienced. Not yet. We have been lulled to sleep by comfort and luxury in our country. And we want to keep it that way. But there are pains in our church which have and will come that are missional. Things God will put in our path to cause us to ask. Are you here? How long will this last? There must be an easier way. So here, verse 23, when Jesus says, be aware, I've told you all this beforehand. Jesus is saying, I know everything that's going to happen to you. I know every cross each one of you are going to have to carry. Remember, my wounds healed you. Every accusation that's going to come against you is one I've already endured. Every rejection of you, I've already endured. Every pierce of the enemy's sword saying, die, loser, I felt too. The king knows and goes before you and before us to make this unbearable suffering possible to endure. The mission of the church is painfully possible. It's urgently portable. But take heart, the church's mission is universally unstoppable. Look at verse 24 to 27, in the beginning of that. But in the days after that affliction, (laughs) I can't believe I wrote this, but in the days after that affliction, I like big butts in scripture and I cannot lie. (laughs) When we see that word, but we must see hope. This is a big one. After all of the description of apocalypse, antichrist, affliction, anguish, comes those days, latter days, days in which every creation of God's universe, whether it be the sun, the moon, the stars, they'll have to lay down their light to a sight so much brighter than they could ever produce. The sight of the Son of Man, the servant of all, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. It's a picture of what we heard Murray read in Daniel chapter 7. 
where after a trial of horrible, deadly suffering, the Son of Man would come to the Ancient of Days and take up His rightful throne. What earthly enemies thought they could put an end to with a cross, Jesus marked as the beginning of the church's mission. Everyone thought this was an end. It was only the beginning. The victorious kings then processional into heaven. God's plans cannot be thwarted. God's mission cannot be stopped. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And His body, the church, guess what? Is remaining still here on earth like boots on the ground gathering together from the four winds. North, south, east, west. The chosen, redeemed family of God. Friends, we are living in those days, church. We are His body here on earth as He is in heaven. Your will be done on earth through us as it is in heaven, seated Jesus at the right hand of the Father. It will be accomplished because there you sit and here we are. I was having a drive with a friend uh, recently and this friend was debating whether to take a call uh, to serve in, in helping a church that was struggling a little bit. And one of the people that was talking to my friend said to him, you know what, if you don't do this, that church is just going to fall apart. And I'm driving in my car. And I don't know what came over me. But I was like, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And that's what I said. I was like, you spit that thought out. That church is not dependent on you. That church is dependent on the head, Jesus Christ, to sustain that church. It is not you, so spit it out. And he was like, Friends, this mission, this church is universal. We go into all the world with kingdom hope. You are on a team that's victorious even if you lose your life. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the people. Close the doors. Hear the people pray so that we can open the doors and all the saints go run away into the world. Go die to yourself. Follow him out of a physical temple into a world filled with temporary painful crosses where we will suffer as Christ our head king suffered until that day when every servant of the king is ransomed up, when every daughter, every son of the father is welcomed home. The king has left the building. We need to leave the building. Friends, there is no Christian nation here on earth. None. There is only one body here on earth, the church. And Christ, the body here on earth, will not be stopped, even when the earth's rotation does. I'm just going to close with this benediction to you. The great sending from our head, King, who's seated. He says, every authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, go, move, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you, not in a temple built with human hands, but I am with you in the Spirit of God that resides in all of us. I'm with you always. For how long? To the end of the age. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your victory. We've forgotten it. We need to remember it. We need to remember we're not a building. We are your body. 
We are your feet on your creation. We are your hands in your creation. We are your heartbeat in your creation. And you sit at the head. Help us remember that as the head is in heaven, so too the body is on earth. And help us to be the body on earth. Reaching out to say, no more Christian nation, no more Christendom. But instead, more Christ. More bringing Christ's presence, Christ's temple to all the places of the earth. Do that work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen.